0: Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, We wrap up our series Home Again today, and for the last couple of teachings, we've taken a deep dive of sorts into the story of the prodigal son, one of Jesus' most famous stories that he told. We spent time learning during our first week how both sons are actually lost in the story. I know a lot of the focus shifts to the younger brother, but really the older brother is just as lost, and he may even be a little more important insofar as the story itself is concerned, because Jesus tells the prodigal with the older brothers in mind. The older brothers are the Pharisees, the religious folks of the day, and the younger brothers, well, those are the kids who are kind of far from God. You know, They they know they're lost, and they've kind of wandered from home. Uh, that's who those folks are. We also learned that sin isn't just about breaking all the rules as we so often think it is, but rather sin is putting yourself in the place of God. You can keep all the rules that the older brother did and still have that pride that puts you in God's place. And that too is sin. So both sons were lost. Both sons needed God's forgiveness. And then we spent time in the next teaching talking about our true older brother, how Jesus is the older brother we both need, right? He's he, both the, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin. Uh, they, they tell stories which appear before the prodigal. Something gets lost in those stories. And then later it's found by somebody else who went searching but nobody goes out and searches for the younger brother and I really believe that Jesus was intentionally getting his listeners to ask this question who should have gone looking for the younger brother it should have been the older brother who at his own expense and risk to his own life searched for that younger brother and brought him back home but He didn't do that. So thankfully we have Jesus who loved us first, who sends God's Spirit to draw us to repentance, and whose sacrifice on the cross for our sins paved the way for us to return home again. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost, and it was His mission, and He's still seeking those who are far from God today. But what about this ending? What about, you know, the, the big party, the big celebration the Father is throwing for the younger brother? Why does Jesus include that in the story? Well, Let's let's just visit that scene again real quick if we can. It's Luke chapter 15, verse number 24, all right? Uh, this, This is the Father speaking here. He says, we must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. And the servant said, your brother's back, he was told, and your father's killed a fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. Let's skip down to verse 32. Father is now talking to the older brother here, and he says, we had to celebrate this house. Happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. So practically, it makes sense to celebrate the return of a long-lost brother who's been brought back into the family, but as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, there is something a little deeper at play here that Jesus is is getting to. You know, he has eternity in mind when he paints a picture of feasting and music and dancing. Uh, Feasts were pivotal, celebratory events in the first century, and really, really all of ancient history, if you think about it. Uh, They play big roles today in our lives too. Think like, you know, weddings and graduations, anniversaries, right? But Jesus takes the idea of a feast and he attaches something to it. He he attaches salvation itself to it. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. This is him talking and he says, I tell you this, that many Gentiles, those who aren't Jewish, they'll come from all over the world, from east and from west. They'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob at what? At the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And so what is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about eternity, where we all gather together in God's kingdom forever. And he likens the celebration in eternity to a feast, and he illustrates his work of salvation on the cross through the Passover, which is a type of what? (laughs) Yeah, it's a type of feast, right? We call it the Last Supper, but it's a symbol of God's work in God's grace. And then there's Revelation 19.9, where in this vision of eternity and specifically the, you know, the end of the world, right, John writes this. Look at what he, he pens here. Uh, Revelation 19.9, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. And then he added, these are the true words that came from God. So we have this picture of a feast that goes even further, celebrating a son's return, right? But it has eternal ramifications to it. And and there's no way to vividly convey what it means to come home to the Father's house than to be found by Jesus, right? To have salvation take root in your heart and life than a picture of a feast. And so what I want to do real quickly is, in the time that we have here today, just kind of walk you through I think four ways that salvation that Christ offers us, you know, shapes us. And each one of these ways is found in a feast and would have been true of the feast the younger brother was enjoying at the end of the story. So let's start with this this, this first way. Uh, Salvation is experienced. Now, you know, a feast is experiential, right? Like our senses are filled with, you know, tastes and smells and we can touch things and see things and hear all kinds of stuff going on. I like guess it's, it's impossible to experience a celebration and not have those senses working. So try going to the next wedding reception and avoid the experience. Shut your senses down <laughs> and good luck, right? In John chapter two, Jesus goes to a wedding feast of his own and the wine runs out a little bit too early. And so what does he do? Well, he uses this opportunity to change around 150 gallons of water into wine as a kind of coming out party for him. John calls it a sign because Jesus reveals his power publicly for the first time. Now, why would he choose a wedding feast? And honestly, why would he choose wine? Would not it make you know sense to choose something a little bit more spiritual? And I think the reason he chose to do this first public miracle here was that it set a tone. You know, the first always sets a tone, the first hit of a ball game, the first song you play in the morning, the first cup of coffee, like what you do first can set the tone for what comes next. They can dictate your, your whole day, right? And so what does Christ do first by turning water into wine publicly? Is He's showing his glory and power and he's also bringing joy, yeah. And, and, and Jesus would bring joy to each life that he would impact uh, ever, ever since that part, right? Joy, by the way, is not a state of feeling like happiness, joy is something you experience. And when Christ took our place on the cross and died for our sins, He rendered us innocent in a legal sense, like we're no longer found guilty of our wrongs, but He also gave us something to experience. You experience salvation, you experience joy, you experience a changed life, you experience Jesus. The Bible says things like, you know, taste and say that the Lord is good for a reason. Jonathan Edwards, you know, he, he wants remarked this, the difference between believing God is gracious and tasting God is gracious is as different as having a rational belief that honey is sweet and having the actual sense of its sweetness. So I I can know that God is good. I I can know that God is gracious. I can know that God is forgiving. I can give you all the different rational and logical explanations as to why I believe that, but you know what trumps all of that? Personal experience. I know God's good because I've experienced it. I know God is gracious because I've experienced it. I know He's forgiving because I've experienced it. And, and, And what you experience, it cannot be taken away from you. Salvation is not just an abstract spiritual concept, it is something you truly live out. And so, salvation can be experienced, but here's something else we don't often think about regarding salvation, and and I think part of the reason we miss this is because we have a tendency to kind of over-spiritualize a lot of stuff, but salvation is also physical. It's physical. Now, what I mean by that is that it's, it's, it's tangible. Think about this for a moment. Feasts are physical. You're not there metaphorically in spirits, like you're actually at the feast, right? You're physically present. Uh, when Christ rose again three days after his death on the cross, he, he was physical. He wasn't just a spirit. Thomas put his hands in Jesus' side where the spear piece, uh, pierced him. He felt the holes where the nails had gone through his wrists. When the disciples are out in the lake and and, and they come in, they come in and have breakfast with Jesus after he's risen Again, there's something physical, tangible, material about salvation. When God creates the world in Genesis, He's calling His creation good. Even after sin enters the world, God still cares for his creation. The work of Jesus on the cross brings salvation to us, but it also points to the day when creation itself will be set right. The very miracles he performed were not in violation of you know, the natural order. They were restorations of the natural order to how God intended things to be. In fact, our salvation with Christ leads us to a very physical kingdom of God that will take place in a very physical and material world. Look at Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and what? A new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. God's salvation brings creation into its intended state and and us along with it. Now pay attention to Paul's words here in Romans chapter 8. Listen to what he says uh, about creation. Romans 8 verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, from from when? From the fall, from Adam and Eve, from Genesis. And, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies, catch that, not spirit, soul, our bodies to be released from sin And suffering. While we wait for eternity, I guess who else is waiting? Creation. Creation itself longs to be restored and longs for God's intended state of perfection that it once had. It longs for that. And so notice that Paul says too that we, we long for our bodies to be released from this present suffering. So salvation that Christ brings provides forgiveness of sins. But in eternity, it alleviates suffering. No more tears, no more pain, no more injustice, no more disease, no more poverty, no more death. The climax of revelation is actually not something super spiritual and disembodied you know that we're participating in it's a feast it's a feast with sights and sounds and smells and tastes like think of it another way if this world had no value if it was some kind of illusion what takes place here wouldn't matter much but jesus he would have come to save you in spirit but but, but he came to save you whole right there's a real physical experience that we're going to have 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse number 1, For we know Now, when this earthly tent, this body, right, is taken down, right, when we leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself, not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. Look at this. We will not be spirits without bodies. So, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God Himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, He has given us His Holy Spirit. So, God has made both body and spirit, and He redeems both when we experience salvation. Our spirits, you know, now our bodies in eternity. But salvation can be experienced, it's physical, and get this, it's also personal. Feasts provide opportunities for you to grow individually. The food you eat gives you, you know, nourishment that your body needs. If you want to you know, be healthy, you gotta make sure you eat and drink. That's like survival one-on-one stuff, right? And just as we have to provide for our physical bodies with fuel to remain healthy, we have to do the same thing with our hearts. It's not something that I can do for you. I can't make this decision for you, and neither like can anybody else. Like salvation and the spiritual growth and health that accompany that is entirely a personal decision you have to make for yourself you know religion kind of says things like i i I obey so i'm accepted but jesus's message says i'm accepted because of what christ did for me and so i obey Religion is the default mode of our hearts, and we'll operate this way unless we make changes each and every single day to kind of get out of that rut. We have a a tendency to instinctively look to other things besides God to justify our actions in our lives, to find hope and security and meaning. And so, often what we'll do is we'll believe that, you know, Christ's message on the surface, we like how that sounds, but we never really let it infiltrate to the depths of our hearts. So we chase the approval of other people and family. We chase success, power, politics, whatever it is, you know. Those things fight to serve as our heart's functional trust instead of Jesus and what He's done for us. And so what's the result? Well, the result is we live our lives by fear, uh, you know, anger, even even, even by a lack of self self-control. So here's the problem. We can't simply change through our own willpower. We have to let the Holy Spirit do the work of digging deep foundations in our lives. And as you read God's word, the Holy Spirit's role is to give you greater understanding of God and who he is. Look at Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. I keep asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give us spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he's given you and to those that he's called His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. The Holy Spirit draws out truths in God's Word, and He brings wisdom and understanding to what we're reading and, and to what's being taught, and He helps you to really soak in those truths into the just the depths of your heart so you can live these truths out. Faith restructures your motivations, your understanding, your identity, and how you view the world. You know, modified behavior without heart change is really superficial. That's religious behavior. It might look good, but it's not sustainable, and given enough time, it can actually corrupt you. But when you fully realize what the cost of our salvation was, when we experience the transformation salvation brings, we begin to step up our game, Uh, when we take that default religious mode out of our hearts, when we begin to follow Christ and pay the cost that comes with it, yes, there's always a cost to pay. To claim that you follow Christ, by the way, and, and not have the transformation salvation brings, to not have it affect you how you live and interact with people, that really reveals that you probably don't fully understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you. See, salvation is personal, and it brings with it a deep and radical transformation to our lives. But salvation is also communal. And you and you alone... Make the decision to follow Christ, but when you do, you don't enter into a new life alone. Feasting is never done by yourself; it's always done in community. There's, you know, no wedding, no family reunion, no party is without crowds of people. I, I know many Christians want to grow spiritually without losing their independence to a church community or some ministry, but I, you know, I, I hear things like, "Hey, I like Jesus." but not the church, or I'm spiritual, but not religious, and all that, you know, that that, that kind of stuff generally conveys a desire that I want to know God and be in relationship with God. I just don't want to be part of a community of other people. And I'm telling you, you can't live that way. You can't do it. Churches aren't perfect. Sometimes they're filled with older brothers who have a self-righteousness about themselves, and, and I totally get that. But there's no way you can grow spiritually apart from being involved in a community of believers. Paul says this in First Corinthians about being connected to each other. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body, and so it is with the body of Christ. Some of, you are, you know, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Look at verse 27. He, he, he says this, uh, or sorry, verse 25, this makes harmony really important. This makes harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, check this out, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. And so all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You'll never be able to know Christ better on your own. You have to be deeply connected and engaged in a church community where you can live out your gifts, build relationships, and connect with people that provide love and accountability. Only by being connected with the body of Christ, filled with others who are wanting to resemble and serve and love like Jesus, will you be able to grow effectively more like Him. C.S. Lewis was close friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, and the two of them had another close friend, not quite as well known, um, but his name is Charles Williams. And when, when Williams died, Lewis wrote a short essay called Friendship, in which he says this. I think this is pretty powerful. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I, I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. And now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's, Tolkien here, Ronald's reaction to a specific Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald and having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. And in this friendship, exhibits glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition with which each of us has in God. For every soul seeing Him in her own way, doubtless communicates, look at this, that unique vision to all the rest." In other words, it took a community to fully know a person, and only that person, right? I mean, not only that person, but also to see the glimpses into who God is. So, you and I, we have to get to know each other. Salvation wasn't meant to be a solo experience. It was meant to be experienced together with other people as well. and and then we can see more of who God is when we're together. At the start of this teaching series, we talked about how both sons were lost. We talked about the division between the older and younger brother. We talked about how the younger brother is wild. The older brother is kind of moral and pious. He's a good, obedient son. And most of us, you know, we're we're really kind of one or the other. Um, We're a mix, although some of us kind of go to the extremes and we're all older brother all all younger brother right Um, but the fact is this and and, and, and the fact is that Christ makes a a pretty powerful statement here in John chapter 6 he just fed thousands of people he sends his disciples across the lake he walks in the water they get to the other side to find really the same crowd that had gathered the previous day and he he tells them in John 6 verse 35 he says I am the bread of life And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again whoever believes in me will never be thirsty." The younger brothers who are far from God, they're living their lives trying to find their way, trying to find their purpose and their meaning. They don't want someone telling them how to live, they'll discover it for themselves. The older brothers are good, respectable even, they're obedient, very spiritual in a lot of cases, but they're also really empty. And both ways to live are really spiritual dead ends. But Jesus' statement reveals the way to salvation and all it encompasses that we talked about here today. It's actually through Him. To live a life that's been marked by the transformation that His salvation brings will lead us to the ultimate feast at the end of history itself. And this wedding feast is something we'll experience. It will reveal our new physical bodies and restore the created order. It will celebrate our personal decisions to follow Christ and do so with massive numbers of people who are part of this community in God's kingdom with us. If you're tired of wandering, if you're lost and you feel a heavy burden today, there's a way home again. The Father is extending his invitation to you. Will you come and join in the feast of his salvation breathed? Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes, and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.